that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Have you ever wondered or asked the question, what will the next generation, the younger generation of adults, be like? You know, I can remember thinking about this when I was a younger boy in my teens, and, and well, maybe teens, late, uh, early 20s, but I would look at other younger people and I would say, boy, what's the world going to be like when they grow up? And even at that young age, I realized a lack of morality, maybe from the younger generation. Now, if you look at the younger generation today, college kids being excused from exams because they are emotionally upset because Donald Trump won the election, college kids being given Play-Doh and coloring books, offering counseling, this is pathetic. This is insanity. Look, if you're a college kid and you're, ups you're emotionally upset because Donald Trump won the election, you don't need to be going to college. You need to be going to kindergarten. Now, the generation that made America great is dying off. I mean, I hate to say this, but it's true. It was a generation that knew how to sacrifice. It was a generation not afraid of hard work. It was a generation that had a vision for the future. And it was a generation that took, it was, it was a kind of people that took great risk. Now, when I consider what makes a nation great, really what makes a nation great is its people. You know, a president is only one man. One man cannot make a nation great. Now, it is true that the the person who is elected is a reflection of what the people want. That's true. But it's people as a whole make or break a nation. Now, when I consider how close we came to the, in this election to selling America's freedom for socialism, that is, if Hillary had won, or worse than that, Bernie had won, you know, and, and again, mention, you know, I was fascinated at the people the young people who were, well, I wasn't fascinated, but they were fascinated with Bernie Sanders and the idea of doling out free stuff, free college. And I looked at that and I thought, don't young people today know that there is nothing free? That the government doesn't have a money tree? Don't young people understand that? That the government cannot give you anything, that it doesn't take from someone else in the form of taxes. It takes it from this person and gives to this person. But the government doesn't have a money tree. And I, I'll be honest with you, I just don't have a lot of faith in today's youth. Now, if that offends you, then prove me wrong. Uh, I want to be wrong. Now, one of the reasons I lack faith in today's youth is because I'm part owner of a business. And for 20 years, we worked a lot of young people. The reason we would work young people is because we do very demanding work, like masonry work, which is physically hard work. So we don't hire old people 
We don't hire a bunch of old stogies that can't hardly walk or anything. We hire young men because of how demanding the type of work that we do, because it's physically demanding. And what I found out by working a lot of young people over the past 20 years is that often they are their own worst enemy. Often you would hire people and you would say, you mean, okay, you're 20 some years old and you don't have a driver's license. All right, you're 20 some years old and you don't even have a vehicle. Your mother has to take you. What do you mean your mother will bring you to work? You know, you're 25 years old and you're still living at home. And why are you giving me 101 reasons why you can't work? And believe me, they had them. Believe me. Now, in other words, if I got up in here and said, if I said to you, today's youth is the best thing that ever happened to America, to America, I would be lying through my teeth if I said that. Now, I know people get upset at that, but, you know, I'm not the one rearing these children that are coming up, okay? Have you heard about the latest fascination with young people? It's called glitter capsules. Um, they, you know, like glitter, glitter that you... Glitter at Christmas time, glitter that you sprinkle on, you know, glitter, they swallow them and they have a fascination with dung when they relieve themselves because the glitter is in there. Now, that, a fascination with dung might be a good way to describe a lot of people today. Now, again, a lot of young people today, fasc a fascination with dung in the type of people they hang out with the type of entertainment, the type of music. Now, again, if that offends you, you know, if you're not like that, then God bless you. You're a good person. You're a good young person. If you've got a head on your shoulder and you're not fascinated with dung, you know, if, you're, if that doesn't describe you, I'm not talking to you. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that all young people are bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I see a trend that is not good, a trend among our youth that will lead this nation to destruction. That's what I see. Now, I have a young daughter, and she doesn't believe in socialism. She doesn't believe in free stuff. She, doesn't, she is a hard worker. Uh, she has a personal relationship with God, and she's got godly character. Now, let me tell you something. She didn't get this way by wishful thinking as a parent. Now, I want to look at the Bible today and, and look at some things that it says about child-rearing and share with you some of the things that we did as parents. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6, it says this. It says, All these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, Verse 7, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now what I call this is, is these things I'm going to share with you today. Defining moments that created, that I believe created, that was a process for creating godly character within your children or creating godly children. Now, the first thing I want to touch on is that the awareness of being fully committed when you bring a child into the world. It is an 18-year sentence, and you have to give up self, you and your wife, you have to give up self to be fully dedicated, fully committed for the child's sake. Because you're bringing, the goal is to bring godly children into the world. Now, often what you have in child rearing is children rearing children. And sometimes this, 
necessarily doesn't have anything to do with age, although I'm going to touch on that subject also, that often we are way too young to bring children into the world. But often what you have is like a child in an adult body. Now, let me explain it. Children that are raised up and they are spoiled often have to be the center of attention when they become adults. Now, usually, you know, we all spoil our children. I understand that. But for the most part, children grow out of that. But some never grow out of that, and they turn into parents that have to be the center of attention. Now, when children grow up in an environment, when your children grow up in an environment, an environment where they have to compete with their parents to be the center of attention, that creates an incredible dysfunctional family system. In other words, the child should be the center of attention. But instead, the child has to compete with mama or daddy to be the center of attention because you got this mother, you got this father that has to be the center of attention. And the children are competing with the parents to be the center of, of attention. This is a great dysfunction and it creates something called, often with children called passive aggressive. They become passive aggressive. Passive aggressive, someone said that passive aggressive is a, a big St. Bernard dog licking you in the face, that's nice, but peeing on your foot at the same time, that's not nice. But often these children will, will get in trouble deliberately, they'll go around dropping things and bringing home bad grades and they do it so that they can get some attention. And even if it's, well, why did you bring home this bad grade? At least for the moment, they are the center of attention because they're competing with their parents. And they'll do anything, including being passive aggressive, to get their parents' attention. They'll do all kinds of crazy things just to get their parents' attention. This is a great dysfunction. It often causes health issues, emotional sickness that the children can have. Children should not be competing to be the center of attention. They should be the center of attention. And I'm not, I'm not talking about spoiling them. I'm talking about the awareness. The reason I say they should be the center of attention because of the awareness that you are rearing the next generation of godly children. You have to lose yourself for their sake. You have to put self on the side burner because you're rearing the next generation. Now, I'm sort of thankful for the fact that me and my wife, we were both in our 30s before our daughter came along because there was a maturity level. If I look at myself between, you know, 19 to 20 versus 30 years of age, yeah, there was some maturity that, that in, in the difference between the two. So, and, you know, the older I get, the more I keep upping this age, you know. Now my conviction is you should have children at age 60. Uh, just kidding, but, you know, you get my point. But, and aging does not always bring maturity, not always. I mean, I've met some 60-year-old fools in my life. But, again, coming back to this, if, if you're a parent and you have to be the center of attention, if the world revolves around you, if you get upset when you don't get noticed, when you don't get your way, do us all a favor. Don't bring any children into the world. Grow up first because child-rearing self has to take a back seat, has to take a back seat. Second defining moment in child rearing was that both of us, me and my wife, had a 
personal relationship with God before our daughter came into the world. Now, I didn't say we were churchgoers or religious, although I guess you could say that. But what I'm, say what I'm saying is both of us were, had been baptized and received the Spirit of God. Both of us were converted, newly converted, but we were both had the Spirit of God before our daughter came into the world. So the reason I think this is important is that we were on the both, through that Spirit, we were both on the same, same wavelength. Now, we didn't always agree but we had the same mission to rear godly children. Now, if you're not committed to God, you know, as a parent, you shouldn't bring children into the world. All, if you're not committed to God as a parent, all you will do is bring godless children into the world. And that's really what we have today. When you look at our society, we have godless children being brought into the world. And that's a reflection on the parents, by the way. The third defining moment in child rearing is in our system, there were no secrets. The things we did, we did as a family. We didn't, me and my wife, we didn't say, well, we need to get away and go watch an R-rated movie. Uh, we need to get away and be carnal, you know, act carnal. Whatever. No, the movies, the books that we read, the entertainment that we watched, we watched it together as a family. And so it had to be, we didn't sneak, there were no secrets is what I'm saying, no secrets. And, you know, we didn't sneak off and say, oh, we got to have this and that. No, whatever it was, it was open. It was an open relationship and there were no secrets. Fourth, the thing that we did was to sac sacrifice your own desires. The willingness to sacrifice your own desires. It was around 12 years, my daughter was, I think it was around 12, and, and I be began to detect, actually, let me back up, we had cable, I'd just gotten cable TV, and she liked this Disney, yeah, Disney uh, show, What About Raven, I believe, it was a smart aleck black girl, and uh, always running off the mouth, and, and I began to pick up on that my daughter was smarting off, that she was adopting some of these same behavior traits, you know. So what I did was, the next day when I picked up on that and where she was getting it from, I got up on our roof the next day, ripped the satellite off, threw it on the ground, took the receiver to the dumpster and the satellite and threw it away. And I called up the provider and said, cut off my cable. And he said, oh, we, we got something really hot. You, need to, you don't want to cancel. We got some hot stuff. And I said, yeah, that's the problem. It's too hot. But, uh, you know, Again, the sacrificing of your own desire. In other words, I didn't say I've got to have my MTV, which, you know, we didn't need, didn't need that garbage anyway, but I got to have my sports channel. I got to have whatever. No, I was willing to sacrifice that. She was the top priority. The character building process was top priority. And, so, and actually, I haven't gotten cable TV since then since I threw it away many, many years ago. Don't need it, it's a waste of time. Now, the strange thing is I look back on this, I don't think I ever addressed the symptom. I don't think I ever said, you know, well, you're, you're getting, you've got a smart attitude. No, I just got rid of the source of where, of where she was learning it, the willingness to sacrifice. Fifth thing in, in 
child rearing and defining moments that decisions that we made that was important was that we made a decision to homeschool our child and that again was a sacrifice it meant and it's something that we had to talk about you know it meant a stay-home mom it meant one income only can't have all the toys i want one income only it meant you know what curriculum do we choose what godly curriculum is out there it was a lot of choices and it meant having a wife who was willing to do this because this in and of itself is an incredible sacrifice uh you know the public school wanted to know our intent for homeschooling and so i wrote them a letter i said sending my daughter to public school would be like taking her to the zoo every day and throwing her in a cage full of monkeys and saying now you can look at these monkeys you can watch these monkeys but don't you do what these monkeys are doing i never got a response back from the school but anyway that's how i felt you know, I just didn't see any value in the public school system and my daughter learning how to put a condom on a, a banana. Uh, I, I, and today, oh my goodness, today, gen, the idiocy of gender identity? How do you explain that one? So I didn't, a lot of it was just so much nonsense. So much nonsense. You know, public schools cannot teach morality. It is against, first of all, it's against the law for them to teach morality. They can't teach the Bible or quote the Bible or say that's wrong or that behavior is wrong. They can't do that. It, it would be against the law. But, so they can't teach morality, public schools, but they can sure destroy your child's morality. I can guarantee you that. Oh yeah. Monkey see, monkey do. Deuteronomy, again, six and verse seven, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So think about what we're talking about here is an educational system. This is an educational system that you have put in place here. No, I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about carrying your children to church once a week. That is not enough. If you think if your last-ditch effort to save your children is to send them to church, you've already lost them. So I'm not talking, you know, church once a week is not enough. You know, you got, your, you got church, and so they're, you're carving pumpkins at Halloween in church. And that may be cute for your children when they're little infants, but they grow up to be teenagers. And they grow up and they say, huh, how, my parents' religion is a bunch of hogwash. Halloween in church, that's not authentic. That shouldn't even be there. And so they leave the church never to come back because, you know, these, these little children are lots, when they grow up to be teenagers, they're a lot smarter than we give them credit for. They can see straight through hypocrisy and they can see straight through when a person is not acting authentically. And so many people's religion you know, my parents' religion is not authentic. It's really not. It's not real. Six defining moments in child rearing that was so important in our family system was the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath is a day to disconnect and to connect with God and His creation. 
And no, I'm not talking about just dragging your children to church every Sabbath day. I'm not, not necessarily talking about that, although there's nothing wrong with that every now and then. But and not every, you know, we did, as a family, we did a lot of things. We did nearly everything together. We would go to the beach sometimes on the weekend, Sabbath included. And we would, often we would go near Christmas time and it was cold. You couldn't get on the beach, but we had an oceanfront room. We would look at the ocean. We'd sit in there and play cards just had a wonderful time. We would do things like uh, go on the parkway, have a picnic. Um, we would we, you know, explore a cavern on the Sabbath day. We did a, explore creation on the Sabbath day. We did a lot of things together. So it wasn't just church going all the time. You know, we had to break that up and enjoy together time is so critical. And I think back on these moments and they are so precious, you know, it's like the song by Daddy's Girl by Barry Gibb. There were never moments such as these. Oh yeah, precious moments. And I'm talking about creating moments together that your children will never forget. That mold and shape their character. The seventh thing was the importance of the work ethic. To model that for your children uh, defining moments in child rearing, the work ethic. You know, if you asked my daughter, she would never say, well, daddy's a couch potato, daddy's lazy, uh, daddy has nothing to do. She would never, our home inside and out was always filled with work activity, always. And we were always doing something, remodeling, rebuilding, outside, inside, garden, always something, always work activity, keeping up the place, always. And that was the environment she grew up in. You know, Proverbs 22 and verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. You know, when I think back on my personal life, what kept me out of a lot of foolishness was hard work. You know, my first motorcycle, I was 12 years old. My father said, can you make the payment? You can work around the house. You can clean the house, or clean outside, rake the leaves. But that was the question that he had for me. Can you make the payment? My first car at 16 was a Stingray Corvette. And my father, you know, my parents were pretty cool. They just, they didn't say, oh, you don't want that old sports car. They said, sure. You want a Corvette? Can you make the payments? You don't make the payments? That car goes back to the bank. And believe me, you know, I was, you know, I wanted that car <laughs> and made the payments. Even had some money to put some fuel in it every now and then. Yeah. Uh, but during, you know, as, as a teenager in my early 20s, you know, when I would, and I'm still like this today, when I come home, I am physically and mentally exhausted. You know, and I think about some of the riots that are going on. And I'm thinking, you know, the problem is these people have nothing to do. I mean, when I got home, I didn't have time to even think about going out and getting into trouble. Yeah, hard work. There is nothing more important than just hard mental and physical work where you physically also are worn out at the end of the day and you can't think of getting into trouble. Idle hands is the devil's workshop. Yeah, that's right. The last thing, defining moment I want to mention here in child rearing is simply the subject of love. You know, in a way, when I think back on it, our daughter now has moved away from home, but 
the child rearing, that 18 year commitment, that 18 year sentence, it was the easiest thing that we ever did because of love. I mean, it's how hard is it to love your children? But I tell you what I found. A lot of parents think they are loving their children when reality, they're just loving themselves and they have never learned how to put self aside, self on the side burner and put their children first. They haven't learned how to do that. Now I want to leave you with something that Jesus said, and I'm going to, I think it's an important point here. I'm going to change the words around a little bit to make a point. Luke 9 and verse 24, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Now I think there's an important principle here in child rearing. So I'm going to rephrase this. For whosoever shall save his life shall rear godless children. Notice that. For whosoever will save, in other words, it's all about my life. Well, this person is going to rear godless children. But whosoever will lose his life for his children's sake shall rear godly children. You know, it's, it's all about putting yourself on the side burner, putting your children first, realizing they are top priority, and the goal and the commitment that we're bringing a child into the world, and we're going to make sure this child is a contribution to society, not a detriment, not, not someone that, that makes their parents look like a fool, because of their activity they're involved in. No, a child that can contribute and build up America, build up a godly society, contribute to society. That's what you're after. I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program. This program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.